Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is November 10th, 2016. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to have a real informative show. We're going to have with us Dr. Alice Epitropoulos. And she is a board-certified ophthalmologist, and she specializes in refractive and cataract surgery. And she has a dry eye center of excellence in Columbus, Ohio. She received her bachelor's degree in nursing and her medical degree which were both from the Ohio State University. She's also currently working on a patent for a medical device, which is going to be called the EpiGlare Tester. And what it does is it measures the visual disability from ongoing headlights in cataract patients. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful patent. So let's bring her onto our show now. Welcome. Thanks, Denise. Thanks for uh, inviting me to uh, be a part of your show today. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. I like to start my show out by asking my guest, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Well, that's a great question. You know, as as you mentioned earlier, I was a nurse uh, before I became a physician. Um, so... You know, I started out in nursing, loved the field, but kind of wanted more of a challenge. So I decided to try to to become a nurse anesthetist, and so I went through that program. And just prior to finishing that program is when I decided to um, become a physician. So I took my my entrance exam and uh, applied to medical school and uh, was accepted. And... um, so, you know, I, I, again, I, I think I just wanted more of a challenge. I wanted to be able to, to, to help, uh, you know, people. And, I, you know, initially I thought about becoming an anesthesiologist since that's my background. Um, but my grandmother, um, you know, had a history of uh, blindness. She had uh, glaucoma and macular degeneration. So I think she was one of my inspirations to become an ophthalmologist is, you know, just to be able to help oh. people that couldn't see to be able to see better. Um, you know, and I, I did some research. I published a paper with my chairman and uh, really um, became interested in the field of ophthalmology. And I am so glad I made that decision because it's really kind of, it's always at the cutting edge of medicine. They're, you know, we're always doing state-of-the-art, cutting-edge technology. So, um I'm, I'm glad that I chose the path that I did. Well, we are too. <laughs> well, 
we're going to be uh, talking today about how your eye makeup possibly can make you sick. And this is a, a topic that our listeners are very interested in. You want to start talking about that? Yeah, well, you know, I want to just kind of give you some background information. Um, Great. You know, dry eye disease and blepharitis is, is actually the number one reason why people come and see their eye care, doc, eye care practitioners. Um, this condition really can have a significant impact on patients' lifestyle, their daily activities, such as working on the computer and reading. Um, you know, it can, it can also affect one's ability to uh, wear contact lenses. And um, it also can affect our results after cataract or refractive surgery. Now, women tend to have more dry eyes than men because of various, you know, hormonal issues, certain health conditions such as autoimmune disorders, um, and, of course, eye makeup plays a role. Um, and more women wear contact lenses, uh, which also can um, play a role. And there's other factors that have contributed to the increase in prevalence of dry eye disease, regardless of gender, um, including the way that our world is changing with today's digital era. You know, we, we all spend uh, a lot of time uh, staring at our computers, looking at our cell phones, our iPads, and this can lead to computer vision syndrome. You know, our, our normal blink rate is about 20 blinks per minute. Now, when we're sitting at the computer or when we're reading or looking at our iPhone, our blink rate drops from 20 to about 5 or 7, 5 to 7 per minute. So this reduced blink rate causes um, reduced oil in the tears, resulting in an unstable tear film. It can cause burning, redness, irritation, and blurred vision. Some of the other variables that it can explain Kind of the increased prevalence of dry eye disease is our diet. Uh, the average American is consuming more omega-6s and less omega-3s, which is a natural anti-inflammatory. So this reduction in omega-3 has been linked to dry eye disease. So, you know, you, you had asked me about how eye makeup can mm -hmm. affect the health of our eyes, and I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, we all have normal flora or bacteria on the lids and lashes. But some have an overgrowth of bacteria, which can clog the eyelashes and the follicles and cause kind of an inflammatory reaction. Meibomian gland dysfunction is probably the most common cause of dry eye disease, where the oil glands become blocked and you know, this, this has been shown to be a progressive disease, which can lead to irreversible damage to those glands if not treated. Blepharitis is an inflammation of the lids, often caused by an overgrowth of bacteria, causing kind of crusting and redness and irritation. And another form of blepharitis is associated with something called demodex, where microscopic mites, and their waste materials are thought to clog up the follicles of the lashes, causing irritation and redness. So um, eye makeup, um, you know, obviously has been used for centuries. And the cosmetic mm -hmm. industry mm -hmm. 
is, you know, extremely profitable, making close to $20 billion a year, billions of dollars a year. And we see, you know, quite a bit of media uh, attention on how we can beautify ourselves, look younger, but they really don't tell us how we can stay safe. Um, and unfortunately, today, you know, we're learning the costs of beautifying our eyes. Cosmetics are a contributing factor to certain eye-related health problems. Eye makeup uh, can be a breeding ground for bacteria. And, you know, as I mentioned, we all have bacteria around our lids and lashes. And when we apply mascara or eyeliner, we transfer the organisms from the applicator back into the makeup container, which acts like a, like, almost like a Petri dish. So the bacteria okay. grows, multiplies in the product, and then you keep reapplying and transferring the bacteria back onto the eye, and that increases the risk of infection. Um, now, most cosmetics contain preservatives to prevent bacteria from growing, but some products don't have enough, and over time the effectiveness of that preservative declines. Interesting. What would be some of the um, uh, effects of this bacteria growth? Is it, well, is it str- um, does it, in other words, does it translate strictly to blepharitis or if you have, yeah, or just I like mean, pink eye or eye infections? What? Yeah, so, um, you know, it can exacerbate blepharitis. It can make the blepharitis worse. It can also make the dry eye disease worse. Um, you know, uh, they may experience, you know, patients that have an overgrowth of bacteria, which, you know, again, can lead to an infection, may experience redness around, like along the lid margins or, or the white of the eye. They may feel that their eyes are irritated. They may notice some discharge or form body sensation, some crusting around the eyelashes. Um, many also um, experience recurrent dyes. Um, and those those all may be signs of using a contaminated product or dry eye disease that's exacerbated by a contaminated product. So, so what do women do if they want to continue using their cosmetics? So, yeah. So, um, you know, there's there's some tips um, that I'd like to share with uh, you know with the the listeners on the program to prevent some of these problems. Um, First of all, um, I don't recommend sharing makeup. Bacteria from person to person is different. So women that share makeup are putting themselves at risk for developing an infection. Um, Removing eye makeup every night before you go to bed is important. Um, Applying um, makeup to clean skin and then also washing the hands to minimize any risk of contaminating the products um, and causing a secondary infection. And, you know, when applying eyeliner, I recommend applying the eyeliner to the outside part of the lash line, not on the inner part of the lid, um, kind of closer to the eyeball itself, because we all have glands in that area. And, again, those glands are responsible for releasing important oil for a healthy tear film. And if you're applying makeup mm-hmm. in that area, then you're going to clog those oil glands. Um, I also recommend replacing 
eye makeup on a regular basis. Um, typically every four to six months is a good rule of thumb. And then also good lid hygiene uh, is important. Um, you know, I, I recommend a, a product called Avanova, and this is, a, uh, this is hypochlorous acid, um, and um, it, it, this is a compound that's found naturally in our body, and it's um, you know, the, the hypochlorous acid is, is found in our own white blood cells, so it kills bacteria without causing toxicity of our own cells. Um, this product is uh, recommended for daily lid hygiene management. Um, and it's a broad-spectrum killer of microorganisms. And in studies, it has been shown to reduce the bacterial overpopulation, including staph, strep, and even MRSA um, in less than a minute. Um, again, it's a natural product for lid hygiene and is very well tolerated. And it's not like you need to get a prescription. It is a prescription um, that okay. pretty much any eye care practitioner or um, primary care physician can prescribe. Now, not all primary care physicians or internists are familiar with this product, um, but uh, it, you know, if if patients want to get more information on this, they can just look up avanova.com and they can find information on it. Um, but and what's the uh, uh, correct know, spelling of that? It's A, V as in Victor, E-N-O-V-A, Avanova. Great. Thank you. Um, so well, those are some again, really it's, good it's, Yeah, it's, it's not like an antibiotic where you have to be concerned about building up a resistance. Um, it's also effective against lid margin um, or dry eye disease. It's effective against little parasites that live around the eyelashes, and it also helps uh, patients who might be contact lens intolerant due to dry eye disease. And some patients have a condition called blepharoconjunctivitis, which is where it can cause both a lid, lid and an eye infection. Um, and in these cases, I, I like to use a combination of the Avanova and um, a treatment called Blefex, uh, which uses a medical-grade microsponge uh, that practitioners can use to exfoliate the lids and lashes, and it removes, like, the biofilm from the surface of the lid margins, and it's, it's very effective. Oh. Those are some good tips, really are. So we've, we've discussed um, <clears throat> how one might get an infection and also some of the remedies Let's talk a little bit about um, what research you have done personally relative mm -hmm. to yeah. cataract surgeries and corrective lenses, mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. Well, you know, um, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, ophthalmology is kind of cutting edge, um, you know, technology. And, you know, we've recently um, adopted um, laser um, cataract surgery. We used something called a femtosecond cataract uh, laser to kind of help us to perform various steps of a cataract procedure. So it helps to reduce the amount of energy that we use in the eye. It helps to um, precisely 
correct astigmatism. And it also, um, you know, like I said, um, allows us to do the various steps of cataract surgery in a more precise manner. So it is, it is a state-of-the-art technology. Um, now, as I had mentioned earlier, it's important to, you know, uh, prior to cataract surgery, to maximize the results of surgery, to mm -hmm. um, evaluate and treat ocular surface disease or dry eye disease prior to proceeding with cataract surgery because this can really adversely affect our results. So if we proceed with cataract surgery in somebody that has dry eye disease, that can affect our, our measurements that we get to determine the strength of the implant that we're going to put in. It can delay healing, and it can also blur the vision and affect our final outcomes. So treating that dry eye disease prior to proceeding with cataract surgery is extremely important. And uh, we just recently published a paper uh, in one of the scientific journals um, uh, showing the benefit of taking a, a healthy, uh, pure form of omega-3 um, and the benefits of, uh, um, that it has uh, on patients that have dry eye disease. So, um, you know, again, you know, I think that just looking at the overall picture and treating that condition is extremely important. You know, if I, I, I want to kind of mention a few other things about, um, you know, we talked about makeup earlier. Um, some of the, you know, some of the ingredients in makeup that we should avoid, um, you know, a lot of, ma you know, a lot of makeup contains preservatives, uh, such as parabens, coal tar, stabilizers, mm -hmm. which are in makeup for important reasons, you know, such as making it last longer. But again, some of these preservatives can be very irritating to the skin and eye. So there should be a balance between some of these ingredients to minimize irritation without necessarily increasing the risk of contamination. You know, some of the, some of the most common microorganisms that we find in makeup are the same organisms that, that are found in and around the, li the lids and the lashes. And again, those include Streptococcus, Staphylococcus, and uh, MRSA. And it's, you know, it's interesting that tap water that we use also contains bacteria. Um, some of the bacteria that we see in tap water is Pseudomonas or amoeba. Um, and again, this is why it's important not to add water to dilute makeup or even to use in our contact lenses because this can increase the risk of very severe vision-threatening infections such as corneal ulcers. Hmm. So again, those Interesting. are facts that many people are not aware of that, uh, that they should be aware of. Is there any specific makeup line that you recommend or are they pretty much the same? In other words, uh, personally, I use like organic brands, mm -hmm. but yeah. um, no, now I'm wondering if they have enough preservatives in them. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, again, I I've kind of uh, leaned in that direction too because I think that you know those companies that um, you know that have organic brands, I think you've done more research and um, you know. Um, in, in looking at uh, what preservatives are the least toxic and the least harmful for us, 
and mm-hmm. yet help preserve that, um, you know, you know, the, the makeup. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, again, the organic uh, brands tend to be a little bit more expensive, um, but um, I think that it's something at least worth looking into. Yeah, I've used I've used those brands for for many many years, but mm-hmm. within the past couple of months, my eyes are like bloodshot all the time. And I went to my mm-hmm. ophthalmologist and had my eyes examined, and he said they're perfect. So uh-huh. it led me to think, bringing us up to your subject, hmm, maybe there's maybe I need to replace my organic makeup. Maybe it's time. Maybe. Right. If if the makeup has been, you know, sitting around and, you know, like I said, if it's you know, if it's older makeup, no matter whether it's organic or non organic, um, again it can still uh, breed, you know, bacteria and microorganisms. So it should be changed, um, you know, like I said, every mm-hmm. not every four to six months. Especially the and it sounds and yeah very timely subject for me personally, but it sounds to me like I probably should get some some um, Avinova to uh, possibly help. Yes, and and again, so we shall see. You know, yeah, there there are some you know there have been some studies to back up the effects um, of this solution or this compound. Um, you know, mm-hmm. on the eye, um, it's been shown to reduce the bacterial overpopulation. Again, reducing the chance of infection. It also mm-hmm. inactivates um, the toxins that can be released from bacteria. Um, it prevents the, the formation of biofilm around the lids and lashes, and it also degrades and eliminates bacterial enzymes, including lipase, which is an enzyme that can cause some irritation. Okay, interesting. What can you tell us about I, uh, some of your patients? Yeah, um, sure. Um, you know, I I think that, um, you know, when I first started using Avanova, I, I, um, I tried it in a patient, um, he was a 50-year-old attorney, um, that mm-hmm. has a condition that requires a uh, um, scleral, a special scleral contact lens. It's like a gas perm contact lens because um, he has keratoconus. Um, so he really can't function without his contact lenses. However, he was no longer able to tolerate his contacts because of kind of a mucus discharge that was just building up every time he put his contacts in. So he was having to remove his contacts six or seven times a day um, you know, because it was really decreasing his vision because of that mucus buildup. He was getting uncomfortable and, and very frustrated. And we tried just about everything I possibly could. And then when I found out about the Avanova, we tried that on him. And it was literally about an hour after he tried it, he called me and said, this is like a miracle compound because he said he noticed a significant improvement in his symptoms uh, pretty immediately after uh, the first dose was applied. And now he's able to comfortably wear his contact lenses um, 
um, on a regular basis. So that uh, that testimony, um, you know, pretty much convinced me that uh, this is pretty effective. And I, again, I I, um, I use it myself. Um, you know, I, I again, I I don't have significant dry eye disease, but I you know I know that it's um, you know how effective it is in 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 maintaining the health of your eyes. Hmm. What are your thoughts about permanent eyeliner? Well, you know, I have a fair amount of patients that have um, a permanent eyeliner. And, you know, this is actually a tattoo that's applied to the upper and sometimes the lower lids. And, you know, I think it's a viable option as long as it's done appropriately by a reputable technician or, you know, cosmetologist. Um, But it's Mm -hmm. not totally risk-free. It it can cause lash loss. It can cause uh, dropout of those meibomian glands. And it can also wear off over time. Um, You know, there's another cosmetic procedure that we've seen in the news. It's an artificial whitening of the eye. And um, I think that uh, patients that are considering this really need to take, you know, extra caution um, because this uses a a very harsh chemical. Um, Sometimes it can even use like a tattoo ink underneath the tissue to create that whiter appearance of the eye. And, you know, people want to look youthful. They want to look awake and alert so that, you know, they they want their eyes to look whiter and less pink or red. But this procedure is very controversial uh, with an extremely high risk of complications. So I would, I would steer people away from having that procedure done. Um, there's current research out for some new drops that are going to be available. Um, it's not approved yet um, to help with um, you know, uh, making the eyes whiter. Uh, there's a difference in visine. Um, you know, so again, I think that there's hope for those people in the future that are really hoping to get something done for, you know, their eyes that are not as white as they'd like them to be. I hadn't heard of that. Mhm. Yeah. It's the tattooing of the eye. <laughs> tattooing um, of the you know, eye. Yes. Using that, using that whitening, but again, it's not something that I recommend at all. <laughs> it's like teeth whitening, but eyeball whitening. <laughs> oh, my right, goodness. Right. Yes. Um, you know, no, there, know there's the permanent uh, eyeliner. It's been around a long time, but... It has been, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a, a few other trends that I'd like to kind of maybe go over um, that, that might be Lift. putting some of our young girls and women at risk. Um, you know, mascara and other products, you know, obviously have their own drawbacks, but there are some new trends that are particularly concerning. Um, eyelash extensions have reached an all-time high in popularity. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. know, these are synthetic lashes that are glued to the natural lashes. And the glues sometimes contain a formaldehyde base and often contain latex, which can cause some sensitivity and toxicity. And, uh, you know, most extensions um, are, are applied in nail, nail and hair salons. 
where you know some people are not adequately trained in in eye hygiene. So again, it's important to choose somebody that is experienced, that's reputable, um, that um, you know is trained uh, on lid hygiene. Um, and otherwise, the risk of increased um, the risk of lid and eye infections um, are, are significantly higher. Um, the other thing is false eyelashes are very popular now. Um, and again, people glue the strip of false eyelashes onto the edge of the eyelid. And the weight of those false eyelashes or the fixatives can cause problems on the lid margin. Um, there was a study at Georgia Tech that found, you know, that these longer Kim Kardashian-style lashes can cause, uh, you know, dirt to funnel down more easily into the eye, increasing the risk of infection. Because, you know, the purpose of our eyelashes are to prevent dirt from getting into the eye. But sometimes this works kind of um, contrary to the purpose of our eyelashes by allowing more dirt to get into the eye, increasing the risk of infection. And, and then the other thing is eyelash adornment or like jewelry around the eyelashes, like beads and crystals have become a trend as well. And these are attached with a very fine thread that's kind of wrapped around the eyelashes. And, you know, the, the manipulation around the lashes can... It can cause um, something called traction alopecia or loss of the eyelashes, um, you know, because of the weight of those ornaments that are attached to the lashes. Um, so it, it basically causes those lashes to fall out. Um, where did that start? Also, where did that start? Um, you know, I, I don't know where they started. If they if they started in a, in a different country and then it just ended up coming to the United States, but They've become more popular. Um, so, again, I think, you know, women just need to be very cautious, uh, you know, when it comes to that. Mm, the maintenance of all these things must be very time-consuming. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you talk a little bit about your uh, your pending patent that you're you're working on? Yeah, Sure. Um, it's actually uh, an approved patent. We have a couple patents. Um, oh, great. A, yes, it's uh, called the EpiGlare Tester. And I came up with the idea, gosh, about eight years ago um, because there was really not a device out there that accurately measured the disability that older patients that have cataracts experience at nighttime when they're driving. So... You know, it's not uncommon for somebody that have cataracts to measure 2020 in the office. So 2020 is normal vision. But when we shine a light in the eyes, kind of simulating oncoming headlights, again, it's, it, it's not uncommon for the patient not to even be able to see the big E at the end of the room, okay, because cataracts are notorious for causing scattering of the light and decreased vision. So, you know, the risk of getting in a car accident in patients that have cataracts is two and a half times higher compared to if you didn't have cataracts at all. So, again, this is a way that we can document that disability that patients experience at nighttime. So 
again, we did um, a multi-center clinical trial uh, to validate the device, and um, we recently signed a license agreement to manufacture, market, and distribute the device uh, with a company called Eye Care and Cure. And uh, we launched it at our National American Academy of Ophthalmology meeting last year, and uh, it's now on the market. So it's exciting to have a, a product out there. Do you believe it will become the standard in, you know, with ophthalmologists when it comes to their eye exams with patients that have cataracts? Yeah, the, the current standard of testing for glare is um, an instrument called the BAT, um, but that doesn't realistically measure uh, glare right. that people experience from oncoming headlights, which is why I felt mm -hmm. like that this is indicated. Um, mm -hmm. the, the bat doesn't claim to measure disability from glare from oncoming headlights. Um, so, again, this is a product that's validated, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that the word can get out that this is a product that accurately, reproducibly measures the disability that cataract patients experience at nighttime. And it, it, it gets Let's to the hope so. It, you know, it's, it's, a, it, you know, it's a safety, it's a public safety issue. If, you know, if mm -hmm. patients are, you know, you know, coming in for their cataract evaluation and they can, you know, really document that disability is there, I think that it, it really does help patients in the long run. Well, let's hope that it becomes a standard. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, what is the percentage of patients of yours that wear contact lenses? Um, you know, I would probably say my my practice, um, I don't have as many contact lens wearers than maybe an optometrist that uh, fits contacts in younger patients on a regular basis. So a lot of times if I have a patient that's interested in contacts, and I'll refer them to one of our local optometrists. Okay. Get them with okay. And, and follow them. But I do have, you know, quite a few patients that are currently wearing contact lenses. Um, and, you know, I would say, you know, probably the leading, the leading reason why people cannot wear contacts is due to dry eye disease. So, again, that really emphasizes the importance of treating dry eyes so that patients that are interested in wearing contacts have that option. I wonder what the percentage okay. is of how many people wear contact lenses versus glasses overall. Um, in the general population? Yes. Um, Probably again. I, I I'm totally guessing here, but I would probably say maybe 30 to 40 percent of patients uh, wear contact lenses. So glasses are still that, more that popular. What's that? So glasses. It sounds like glasses are more popular. Well, again, there's some patients that don't need corrective lenses at all. Um, True. You know, so. Um, you know, that's, that's probably 30 to 40 percent of the total population, whether they mm. use corrective lenses or not. Now, yeah. you know, 
there, you know, any type of contact lens can cause or exacerbate dry eye disease. But I'm sure you've probably seen, you know, some of these colored or exotic cosmetic contact lenses. And, you know, these can pose a, um, a particular threat because often they're not fit properly by a trained eye care prof uh, professional. You know, up until recently, these were available in gas stations and malls and other random shops, but we've, we've had some recent legislation um, that's controlled access to these dangerous lenses, at least here in the United States. So, um, you know, a lot of times they come out during Halloween, and, um, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen some very, very serious problems uh, with, with these um, types of contacts. So... You know, it's it's um, it was very um, nice to see that legislation come through to to you know control that. These particular contact lenses aren't for um, eye correction; they're just strictly for changing the color. That is correct. Yes, they're considered they're called cosmetic contact lenses, so they can change the color of the eye. I didn't know that either. Uh -huh. So, you know, and, and again, there's some contacts that are out there that, um, you know, are almost like a costume, okay? So that you can change, you know, you kind of, you know, change the shape and configuration of the eye, <laughs> you know, the, the way that the eye oh looks. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> we see that often during uh, Halloween. Sometimes you can even see it uh you know, on TV, but uh, yeah, that, that's definitely we're not just seeing think that of all the all the <laughs> all the adornments for 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 eyes. Amazing, right? Oh yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I suppose it could be fun on a temporary basis. Yes, right. Well, they certainly get a lot of attention. <laughs> but they're not always <laughs> the best thing for your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you know, the human body is very complicated. It's so many things can go wrong with it that it makes sense that our eyes are susceptible as well. Right, exactly. Let's see. It's the been a wonderful is, uh, interview. Well, thank you. The eye is a very intricate uh, organ and uh, again it's, you're only given one set of eyes so it's important to to really take care of them so you know again I encourage women to you know talk to their eye care practitioners you know about you know daily eye hygiene using safe and effective products such as Avanova and that can really um, you know be the best defense against infections and other eye, you know, uh, problems like dry eye disease and blepharitis. So, you know, I think that if we take these steps, um, women can have both beauty and healthy eyes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Alice Epitropoulos, for joining us today. We've learned a lot about uh, eye makeup and the general health of our eyes and um, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, no, but thank you so much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm happy to, you know, 
come out and talk about anything you'd like at any time. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much well, for joining us. Me. We really appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our show for today, listeners. Please tune in again next Thursday for another really great show. Appreciate you listening in. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at HealthMediaNow and Facebook at HealthMediaNow. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at KnowledgeWorksPub.com. Be sure to visit GotCancerNowWhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. At Nissan, our lineup is taking the galaxy by storm. And right now, you can save big during Nissan's Go Rogue year-end event. Shop your local Nissan store and choose Nissan.com today for great offers. See Rogue One in theaters December 16th. Take on any galaxy.